Welcome back for another week. As we learn Perek Yud Zayin, it is a long one. We'll do almost the whole Perek, um, but it's going to take some time. Our learning is dedicated to Eloi Nishmat, Rivka Bagyanko, Valevi, Lucy, Maya, and Rina D. Our full year sponsors, Naomi and Yitzi Hallander, complete refuel for all Holim, and specifically Meira Shoshana, Vatsara Rivka, Michelle and Gary Friedman, in memory of Hannah Malka, Bat David, and Rufu Shlema for Rachel Merrill Hinda, Bat Miriam Rivka. Our half year sponsor, Rufu Shlema from Manucha Tova, Bat Shoshana, Chava Devora. Our Spotify sponsor for the year, Rufu Shlema for all those injured in Eric Vassal, and the protection of all our Chayalim and Chatufim. And of course, as always, a refuel shleima for you, Didi Chaim ben Avi Rivka Chaya, Bracha Vigal Barachal Gita, Tila Batya Bar Chaya Tovah, Shemen ben Elkan Shaduchim for all those that are in need. It's a famous, it's a famous story, the story of David and Goliath, David, David and Goliath. It is what uh, is always used as the perfect paradigm for a super impressive opponent on one hand and someone who has no shot. When a team that's not supposed to win the World Series, a championship, a game wins, it is David beating Goliath. And if you look at all the pictures, all the paintings that are out there, it is this massive, imposing warrior against this shepherd that's barely wearing anything with his little slingshot. And we're going to kind of unpack this perek uh, with all that it has uh, and see what exactly that means, David and Goliath, David and Goliath. But the first thing that we have to know, we have to note the um, the location of the battle. We're going to spend a little bit of time on that because I think it is so very, very, very important. So if you look at the map, you'll see Azeka, which is actually Tel Azeka. They discovered it. It was a relatively unknown um, tell, archaeological site, which a tell is just multiple layers of civilization upon one upon each other, until they stumbled upon it not that long ago, and they did some digging and they realized, wow, that they came upon quite a find. Now, Azeka, we know already, because back in Sefer Yoshua, one of the five kings that Yoshua defeats, Yarmut, and, and others in that area, one of them is Azeka. And Azeka is going to play itself into, into Tanakh uh, other times as well. And Amir Tzashem, when we when we travel Eretz Yisrael together in just under two years, Azeka will for sure be one of our stops at the time. So Azeka is one. And then you don't see it on the map because it's not a place in our parak. But if you make a left by Azeka, there is a narrow road that goes all the way to Yarmut. And then a little further, it goes to Beit Shemesh. So there is, from if you're coming from the coast, there is a long, windy road that goes all the way from Ashdod to Azeka. And then you have a choice. Make a left and you go to Beit Shemesh, or you make a right and you go on a highway for just a little bit, and you end up by Tel Soho. Soho. Now, those if you live in Israel... Um, or if you're familiar with things that go on in Israel, or if you follow some of the people on uh, on social media that talk about it, this time of year, in uh, in February, March time, there is a red flower that flowers all over Israel. People get very excited. People drive all around the country to see it. And there is a purple flower also that 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 springs up. And people get very excited. They go to see it. 
Um, to me, not quite as exciting, but I go because I love hiking. Um, and I go because my wife tells me that it's going to be fun. And together, we it's it's always a wonderful thing. So last year, we went to a place called Givat HaTur Musim. Givat HaTur Musim is probably about five to seven minutes from Azeka. And it's about 15 minutes from Beit Shemesh if you're coming around the back road up that way as opposed to through Azeka. Givat HaTur Musim apparently is actually Tel Soho. It is the same place. And so our story that we are going to look at today takes place between Azeka and between Soho. Now I want to give you a better picture of it. Yes, this is my, my wife and I. We went to visit Tel Azeka. This is what we do for fun. And so from the top of Tel Azeka, this is what you'll see. You see that there are multiple mountain tops. All the way in the back on the left um, is our houses. That is Beit Shemesh Dalid. Maybe there's a chance that you can see Gimel in there. And maybe, maybe, maybe you can make out bits and pieces of Aleph. But for sure, that over there is Dalid. Then you have other mountaintops. The far mountaintop, not the one right there, but the second one over there is Soho. That is Givatatur Musim. This is a panoramic picture that my wife took. It is, it's a remarkable picture. You get such a good view of it. So the 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 way the battle is going to shape up is that the two sides are on mountains. Why? Because mountains are safe. Azeka is on the one side and Soho is on the other side. I, I didn't share the picture, but if you, when you get to Soho, when you get to Givatatur Musim, The hardest part of the hike is the first minute and a half to two minutes or the last minute and a half to two minutes because there's a bit of a rock scramble where it's hard to get up or to get down. But once you get up there, you're on level ground for a long time. There's a nice little path down the back that takes you all the way back to where you started. You could actually avoid the rock scramble totally if you want to. But both of them are high mountains, imposing mountains, that sit in between Amek Ha'ela, the Valley of Ela. And that is really the, the spot where our story takes place. Now, I'll just show it to you one more time. I'm really not trying to beat it to death, but I think it's, it's important to see really how close it is. This is Google Maps with the topography, but also the current day highway. So here is the Nativ Lamed Hay on the right. If you go on the road there long enough, you'll actually end up by uh, by Neve Shamir. And if you go in early enough, you can end up on the uh, the far end of Gimel. But over here, this is Tel Soho. This is Givatatur Musim. This is uh, a nice hiking area right there. Hour hike, hour and a half hike, nothing, nothing very difficult. Over here is Tel Azekos. And now when you look at it from this perspective, where we are closed in so much, it's it's actually not very far from each other. And then in between is the Valley of Ela. But look over there, you'll see Ha'ela stream, the battle of da- the side of the battle of David and Goliath. Now, what's important is that these streams in Israel are not like streams in America. In America, you have streams that they're constantly flowing; they're always there. You can come 12 months a year, you'll see it. I remember my, my grandparents, Aleim Shalom, had a house in Beaver Lake. 
And there was always the stream there all year round. But in Israel, and you have places like this up uh, up in a, up in a, the, the Catskills and the Adirondacks as well. If there's water flowing off the mountain, there's water. If there's no water flowing off the mountain, there's not. We actually have a place uh, not far from our house. It's the same thing. It's the middle of a park. When it rains a lot, boom, it comes streaming down really, 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 really hard. Okay, so this is this, the, the place that they're going to meet is right smack in the middle. Now, I know that I spent 10 of my minutes uh, just on the introduction to get the, the map down. But I have to tell you, it's a game changer. Because when you when you learn Tanakh and you know where it's happening and you can appreciate the, the places, besides the fact that this is literally my backyard, but besides that, it it's so real. You understand the tension. Could you imagine you have thousands of plishtim? Of course, Azeka makes sense for them because they're coming off the road from Gat. And Tel Soho makes sense for the Jews because it is the last bastion at the time until you hit um, Beit Lechem and you hit the heart of Yehuda, ignoring the fact that the other direction is Beit Shemesh. So they, the encampment is by Efes Damim, which on one of the maps you saw is really that whole area. It's important to note that the last time we battled the Plishtim, the Plishtim were all the way up by Malemichmas. They were in the heart of Binyamin, which meant that they had penetrated to the inside of the Jewish settlement. Here, they're at the edge. The Shvela, the flat land, was controlled by the Plishtim. It's the mountaintops where the Jews had their holdings. And so they're making a push back in. They're using Telazeka and Emek as their place to, to jump in. Now, nobody is crazy enough to actually encamp in the Emek on the bottom. You're going to be massacred. So they find Tel Soho, they find Soho, whereas the Plishtim have Azeka. They're each on top of a mountain with the valley in between. So who comes out? There is this champion, this really strong man. That is what a Ish Habenayim is. The, the Radak says, why is he called? He's not Benayim like from champion, but Bain. He is a man that comes out from between. Every day he comes out between the two encampments. And how tall is he? So we're told that he is Sheish Amot Vazaret. Six Amot and a Zaret. What is six Amot? So six Amot is roughly, an Amo is between 18.96 inches, a foot and a half, almost two feet. So if you were to calculate based on that, and if you're a centimeters person, enjoy, it's up there. So a um, the it's nine and a half to 11 and a quarter feet. So he's tall, but it's not, it's not impossible to believe that he, he is that. Meaning if someone said that he was 40, 50, 60 feet, one might sit there and say, really, 40, 50, 60 feet, that's impossible. But nine and a half feet, when you have basketball players that are, you know, seven and a half feet or something in that neighborhood, it's not so far off. What is a zaret? 
So this is actually very, very cool. So a zeret, according to some, is a half an amma. And if you take a look at the dimensions up there, that is actually to a T, a half an amma, which would be, it would put him at 10 and a quarter to 12 and a quarter feet. But uh, the the sign up on the on the screen, the the surfer sign, which has some some cool name, is actually a zeret. Mitsuda Sion says that what is a zeret? It's the area between your thumb and your pinky when you spread it out. Now I looked at that. I was like, well, what is that? But I, I did. I actually put it on my um, on my my ruler, and on my hand, it comes out to just under eight inches pretty amazing, right? So now you have to imagine on someone like Goliath, who's huge, it's going to be much more. How much will it come out to be? I don't know. Maybe it'll come out to be about nine and a half to 11 and a quarter inches, which is the same thing. But uh, but interesting how it comes out. So he's this really tall guy. The kova, now we're going to get, we're going to see what his, uh, what he's wearing. The kova Nehoshet, he has a copper hat, Al Rosho. The Shiryon Kaskasim. He has a coat of mail. It's Kaskasim. Now we know from Kashros that the on a fish it's Kaskeset or scales. What is the benefit of scales? Dot Mikro, we won't look at it inside because I know we'll run, we're going to run out of time. We're only at the beginning. But Dot Mikro over here points out what is Kaskeset? What it's scales. If you have a coat of scales on you, this is what it does for you. Each scale, it's one coin or one piece of metal over another, over another, over another. And the reason why you have that is it gives you the flexibility. Meaning if I'm wearing a metal coat that's one piece, so like like a, uh, I don't know, a, the what, what what you see, the, the knight, right? The, the metal knight that's in the castle. If you were to put that on, you'd have zero flexibility. It would make it very hard to move. Here, what does it do? It gives you like the flexibility. But what's nice is because it's one piece of metal over another and they overlap, you have the movement that is there, but you also have extra layers of protection. Meaning if an arrow were to come at you, there it's harder to find the chink in the armor because it's not like, oh, wow, there's this one solid piece of metal and oh, the 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 metal guy was, uh, was a fool and he missed one little spot and that's the spot that the arrow hits. Here... You have multiple layers, so it gives added protection. So who he gives the the pasuk tells us it weighed five thousand shekel in, in copper. I don't know what that is, but the Nikra quotes the following. He says that he says that based on archaeological finds that these uh, pieces of metal that they found each mishkal each shekel shal nechoshet was about twelve grams. He says that uh, 12 grams would come out to about 60 kilo. How he figures that out, I have no idea. But he's talking about wearing metal armor that is upwards of 60 of 60 kilo, 100, 130 some odd pounds. That's a lot. That's a lot to wear. But the truth is, when we talk to Chayalim and we ask them what they're wearing, they're also they're wearing these vests that are so heavy. And they're wearing gear that's so heavy. But why are they doing that? Because it protects them. And you get used to it. So he too was able to get used to what he was wearing. And on his feet, he had these, uh, also these copper shoes. And between his shoulders, 
he had this javelin, the Khanito Kiminor Orgim, and the uh, his spear was like a, the beam of a weaver. It was an iron, 600 shekel of iron. And then he had a guy that carried a shield that went in front of him. That's a lot. That's a lot for the Jewish people to see. So he makes the following proposal. He says, why should we go out to war? Now, the fact that he's willing to make this proposal should tell you that perhaps the sides had evened out a little bit. It's no longer the old story of the, the, the Jews with no power, with no strength, with nothing against the almighty Plishtim. If the sides were a little bit more even, it's possible that what he's suggesting is why should we have a bloodbath? If my 100,000 soldiers and your 100,000 soldiers meet in the Eilat, What's going to happen? They're going to be destroyed. Thousands of people will be killed. Why do we need this? So he says, I want to suggest the following. Let us choose one man from each camp, fight it out, and whoever wins will be declared the winner, and they'll have rule, reign over the area. So he says, Hello, Anochia, please. So he says, I am the Plishti. I am the representative of the Plishtim. Although he says, any low sarmate, Rashi says, he says, I'm not a officer of a hundred or offer of a thousand. I'm just a regular Plishti. And why don't you guys take someone? Now, he says, Anochi, ha Plishti, the hey ha yidiya. He's pointing out a specific person. Says Rashi, he's the Plishti that killed Chafni Pinchas and captured the Aron. He's not just a guy. He is a pretty impressive Plishti. So he says, Why don't you choose someone and come oppose me? But right before that, he says, You are servants to Shaul. So there's two possibilities of what he's saying. One possibility is he's saying, What do you care? Win or lose, you're still servants. Either you're servants to Shaul or you're servants to the Plishtim. But you have nothing to lose. That's number one. But another thing is, Bazak says, Maybe what he's trying to say is he's subtly taking a knock at Shaul. I'm super tall. I'm super powerful. Wait a second. You guys have one just like that also. You have Shaul. Baruch Hamish. Choose your man. Who is your haplishti? It should be Shaul. Shaul should go and fight. If you beat me, you will be my. You, we will be your servants. Then you'll be servants to the victor of this one-on-one match. Best, you know, first to eleven or whatever it is, that is going to be the winner. So Plishti says, "Ani charafti." I cursed. Your battle, your group of troops. Give me one man and let's have a battle. They all hear this, Shaul and the people. It's important to see it that way. Shaul and the people all hear it. They're one, one listening and they're terrified. They're all terrified. Shaul is terrified. Now that's amazing. Because we had the same thing by, by Nachash and Amon. The Jewish people were very worried. 
And we have the same language. Cherpa. It was an embarrassment. Remember, Amo, Nachash Melech Amo, said, I'm going to, let's cut out the, the eyes of every person and then I'll make peace with you. But there, Shaul, has no, he's not afraid. He comes out. Here, Shaul is terrified. But there will be a surprise that will come. And now, Pasuk Yudbet, we're kind of introduced a little bit to what the surprise is. So David is, is the son of this man from Ephrat, from Beit Lechem Yehuda, whose name is Yishai, and he has eight sons. Remember last time he had seven sons. And in the days of Shaul, he was old. So he can't go to fight. But Shaul has has uh, this man, Yishai's oldest three sons there. We know these kids' names from the previous parak. They go out. Now, why are David's brothers here? Now, if you look at this map, this is, we, we pull out the map. And we're looking at it from further away. It's the first one we looked at. Azeka, Soho, Ephesdamim, which is where the Shaul, uh, the Plishtim were. Sharayim, we haven't gone to, it'll be at the end. Beit Lechem Yehuda. Beit Lechem is the next town over. It's it's a good drive. Nowadays, it would take a half hour to drive, so you could imagine it's not that close. But if Alex Israel says, why are the brothers there? Because who is the one fighting? It's the local militias that come out to protect their cities, their land. If we let Soho fall, and they don't go up to Beit Shemesh, then we will be next. So they're there. But David, who are Katan, David is the youngest. So Rashi says, David, Rashi is reminding us, David was the youngest. He wasn't, a, he wasn't involved in war. He was the Minagain. He was the one that played the harp. He played music to soothe Shaul. And the older ones were following Shaul. And David would go back and forth. He commuted. Most people didn't commute back then. But David would commute back and forth to check on the she- the sheep of his father. The Plishti would come out morning and night. And he did this for 40 days. So first off, Hashkem Barev, morning and night, Rashi says, when did he come out? The Jewish people will be, Shema Yisrael. And as they're getting ready to, 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 to admit that they believe in one God, he would curse that God. And the same thing at the end of the evening, as it was becoming nighttime and Mariv was, he would curse God again. How deflating it must be to try to be davening and feel that there's something so sacrilegious happening at the same time. For a, for a little bit of time, I was davening in a shul that had construction on top of it. And as the construction was going on, there was music playing, like real hard, loud music. And it was now, it was the summertime, the windows in the shul were open so that it wasn't so hot. And you're listening to like 80s rock while you're saying Shema. It just doesn't work. You can't listen to that and at the same time be davening. And that's what happened to the Jews all day long. Like that save Arba'im Yom, 40 days. 
Why the number 40? The Radak offers two suggestions. He says the first one is, it is Keneged the 40 days that Moshe Rabbeinu was on Har Sinai until Kabbalat Torah, until the Torah was accepted. It took them 40 days to get to the point where Moshe came down. They had the Torah and they had the strength to fight back. Another possibility, another possibility, is that Goliath's mother, Goliath's mother was Arpa. Arpa from the, the Megillat root story. There were these two girls from Moab, Ruth and Arpa. And what happens? They marry into the house of Yehuda to, to Elimelech's two sons, Machlon and Kilion. Machlon and Kilion die. Naomi comes home. And as she's coming home, they're following her. And she says, go back. Don't follow me. Arpa gives her a hug. And Naomi and Ruth says, I won't leave you. She gives her a hug and then she leaves. She takes 40 steps. But while she's taking those 40 steps, she looks backwards. She, I'm sorry. Actually, she takes 40 steps with her mother-in-law. In the zchut of those 40 steps, her son gets 40 days. 40 days. It shows you that nothing is forgotten. Hashem holds on to every single thing. And it gets paid back. Arpa does something, albeit small. And she couldn't have been that, that amazing of a person, says Chazal, because that night when she comes back, after leaving Naomi, after she's willing to go back to the Jewish people, that night she goes back to her people, sleeps with 40 different men, or 100 different men, I'm sorry, I believe, and a dog. And somewhere in that union, Goliath is born. He's conceived. That, but God says, I remember. You did good, and something good happens. So what happens? He says, I ask you please to take some bread, some flour to your brothers. And ten loaves of bread. And I want you to run and bring it to your brothers. Nothing changes thousands of years later and our Jewish sons. Our boys are at war and what happens? People are bringing pekalach, little packages of food to the chayalim. Now it's reached the point where it's not just the parents and the family, but you have tzaddikim from all over the world that come and they feed the chayalim, the chayalim that are eating what they're eating, army food, all of a sudden shows up what? A family, a group of people with grills and meat and meat and meat and meat to feed them. But this is not a new phenomenon that the chayalim need food. And then he says, that And 10 loaves of cheese, I want you to bring to their, to their sar, to their officer, and find out if your brothers are good. It never hurts to give something nice to the Mifakeid. You never know what that means. And this is a, it's a weird, it's a weird language. Find out how they're doing and bring back their Arubot. What does that mean? It's a lot of different answers, but one answer Chazal give, quoted by the Radak, is that they gave them, 
he brought home, he was to bring home his brother's gitten, his brother's divorce documents to be given to their wives. Why? They're about to go out to battle. And this way, you'll give them these divorce documents. And what will happen? What will happen is if God forbid they die, or worse, actually, God forbid they die and they don't, no one knows if they're dead. If they don't come back after a certain amount of time, retroactively, the divorce happens from the day that they uh, from the day that they left. We're actually going to see a lot more in Shmuel Bet, I believe, of how that uh, that get works. And while he's coming, Shaul and the Jewish people are in Emek fighting the Plishtim. Look how amazing David is. You want to see why he's a leader? This is the first thing. David leaves, and what does he do? He leaves his zone with a Shomer, with someone to watch over them. So he, he does what his father told him. He goes out he, and he gets to the Magal. What's the Magal? So the um, so Rashi says Magala is an outside circle of soldiers that surrounded the encampment. They were the, the first guard to make sure that the Jews were safe. And each side had like a Maracha. They had like a front line and a back line. David uh, leaves his Kalim. He leaves his stuff, the packages. Says the Parapanel, what does it mean he left the packages? Kashera Az said David Natasha Kelimi Labrotzelomar, Hilachalavuboth, all this the supplies that he had brought, including the gitten. He sure Kalim Aishomer Kelim, and he left it with the, the watcher of the provisions. He wanted to know where were his brothers. He said, Are my brothers okay? They were already out on their way to the battle. So he leaves his stuff with the Shomer Kelim. He runs out to the Marachava. He's listening to, his, he's talking to his brothers. And he, he, he hears Goliath, the champion, screaming. And he hears what he's saying. And David, David, Vaishmat David, David hears. But I don't think it's just Vaishmat David, he hears. Like I'm hearing the noise right now. Vaishmat. It penetrates his ears and it touches his heart and it touches his soul. An interesting question is that when you read he that Goliath is Mimarot Plishtim, it's it's written as Mimarot and it's written and is read as Mimarot. I wonder if you could suggest that there's a little bit of foreshadowing here. Mimara is a cave. Maybe a, a cave. Who goes in a cave? Someone who's nervous, someone who's hiding. It says he's coming from the caves, which is a place of fear. But it writes it as Marachot. Maybe it's foreshadowing of what is to come. He comes out, they all are running. He's coming to curse the Jews. 
Whoever beats him, this is the hack on the block. Whoever beats him will become wealthy from the king's wealth. And his daughter he will give him. The best part, tax exemption for his family for life. So at first glance, this Pasuk makes no sense. David says, wait, what's going to happen? Didn't you just hear it? So maybe the way I just said it is actually one way of reading it. Wait, what's going to happen? Meaning he's questioning what exactly is going on. Did I hear? Did my ears hear me correctly? Is that really what's going to happen? That's quite a reward. That's one possibility. The Ralbag suggests that he wants to fight. And he makes that quietly public by whisk- asking everybody, wait, what happens? This is what you get? And all of a sudden, you're like, wait, wait there's this kid that's going around the, the, the uh, encampment. And what is he asking? He's asking. Why is he asking? Because he must want to fight. The Ralbag says this is the beginning of the realization of David's malucha. That is the opinion of the Ralbag. Says the Malbim, Ki David He asks this in amazement. He says, I don't understand. Thought maybe someone would be crazy enough to make the offer because of the incredibly generous offer that the king had. But David actually ends off by saying, but how could we allow this to happen? He's cursing God. That's the Malbim's suggestion. But they repeat the same thing again. It could be that what's going on here is they don't understand. David hears it. By Shmat David, David says, I hear it. They don't hear it. What they hear is just that, oh, he wants to know. They don't actually think that anybody's stupid or crazy. And the fi- there's a fine line between stupid and crazy. They, they don't think that he's actually crazy enough to actually do this. And so they just repeat the same thing again. Eliav, the oldest here, is this and gets really angry. Eliav says, I'm annoyed. What are you doing? I know that you're just here for the hawk. That's the only reason why you're even here. I didn't do anything. I'm just, I just want to know what the hawk is. That's what he says. Abarbanel says, he says, I didn't do anything at all. He gets into a fight with his brother. Vaisov made slow El Mulacher, and he goes the opposite direction. It's the same thing over. And word gets out that David is interested in fighting, and it gets all the way to Shaul. Now, before we do get on to the battle, he has a conflict with his brother. This story might sound familiar. Yosef and David, so similar. Older brothers away, sent by dad to check on brothers. Youngest takes care of the sheep. Conversation with random people. Harsh response from brother, albeit much harsher. Yosef, uh, from his brothers, he becomes close to the king, which leads to marriage. 
And then we have the word Navon by both of them, only two times in Tanakh, and also good looking only two times in Tanakh. The stories are so similar, but there is a big difference as with Zach. David's reaction. He doesn't respond. He doesn't cause friction by going back to his dad and saying, do you know what Eliab said to me? It's a sign of true leadership. He repairs Yosef's mistake. Mistakes from Amnon Bezak. Beautiful idea. So it comes to Shaul. David al Shaul. Al Yipolei Vadam Alav. He says, I'm ready to fight. I, bring it on. I'm ready to fight. You can't go out there. You're a nar. Interestingly, a nar, a young boy. But also in Yiddish, if you're called a nar, you're an idiot. Right? He says, you're out of your mind. Only someone that young would be crazy enough to even think what you're thinking. He's an Ishmael Chama. David will eventually be called an Ishmael Chama as well. He will. Ishmael Chama is not a common phrase in Tanakh. David is it twice. Machir ben Minashe, Goliath, the Jewish soldiers by the war with Benjamin. It's a unique phrase. It doesn't come up a lot. But he's saying, this guy is an Ishmael Chama. What are you, out of your mind? I have been a shepherd for my whole life. Now, interestingly, the king is called a Nagid, and Nagid is supposed to be a shepherd, takes care of the flock. David says, I am a Nagid. I am a, a Ro'eh. And when you're a shepherd, they attack. A lion, a bear comes and attacks a sheep. And what would happen? They would come and attack me, or attack my animal. I would come, I'd grab them by its beard, and I would, I would destroy them and kill them. He's no different. I will take him out. Perhaps, actually, what David is kind of hinting at, Shaul, is I'm an, you're a Nagid. You're, you're, you're a leader like that. You should be able to take on and protect the Jewish people. He says, God, that has saved me from the lion and the bear, he will save me from the plishti. Why is it all of a sudden that Shaul says go? Perhaps what happens actually is that Shaul hears him and says, it's not that you think that you could beat him by, by strength. It's impossible. Goliath is, is 12 feet tall and he is built like, uh, it's like Rocky versus Drago, if you know that reference. Big, strong, against his little nothing. It can't be. So that could be when he finally says, it's not that I'm going man to man against him. It's Hashem against him. He gives him his own armor. He puts it on. That, by the way, is foreshadowing for sure. The dressing, the king is taking his armor and putting it on someone else, who, by the way, we know has already been anointed as the success, his successor. Definitely, definitely going on here. He couldn't move. He's putting on this armor. Imagine. David, I don't know how tall he is, but let's assume he's, I don't know, he's regular height. Shaul is not regular height. He's this massive, strong guy. He's putting on this armor. He says, I can't move. 
Vayomer David el Shaul uchal alecha be'ela kilo nisiti I can't. Vayisirem David me'alav and David takes it, the clothing off. It's interesting. He has his clothing taken off just like Yosef. It's not on the list of similarities, but it's actually the biggest contrast. David takes it off willingly. He says, I, this is, I don't need special clothing. Yosef, it's taken off against his will, and he wants that. What does he take in his hand? His makel. He takes his makel and his hand, his stick. This, to me, is absolutely... I have to share this with you. This next picture. He takes five smooth stones from the Nachal, from that river that we had seen before. The picture on the right is uh, the stones from my garden. This is not a Google image. This is really my garden. And it was built by this wonderful tzaddik whose picture is on the screen, Sharon, who has built gardens for at least one other listener of our shir, maybe more, I don't know. He built uh, this this little garden for me um, in my house. And he says to me, we're going to put in chaluke nachal. And I'm like, what are you talking about? I don't know what chaluke nachal are. He, say, he explains to me it's smooth stones. But I didn't appreciate exactly what was going on until I got to this pasuk. Why are they called chaluke nachal? So obviously the water that goes over these stones for years will smooth them out. They are such smooth stones. But that's why they, they get their name. And it comes from this pasuk. He takes five stones. Now, what happens? He puts it in his little uh, pouch, in his leather pouch, which is what all shepherds have. It's where they put their granola bars, they put their flute, they put their books. David Melch spends a lot of time in solidarity. This little yalkut, this little knapsack he has, is going to be a big deal. The kalo biado, and his slingshot is in his hand. And he comes to the plishti. Why five stones? Redak says, Keneged, the Avot, and Aaron, and Mo, and Hashem. Okay, that's the five. Or the, the five books of the Torah. And uh, the plishti is going back and forth. So, um, the Abarbanel says that he's walking slowly. Why? He's got his heavy armor on. And he's got a shield guy in front of him. He sees the David and he makes fun of him. He says, this is what you're said. This is your best option? A pretty boy? Really? That's what you're sending me? Am I a dog? That you're coming with me with sticks? You're going to throw the sticks and I'm going to go get them? And he he curses the plishti. The plishti curses David with by God. Now what's interesting is where Bazak says he took the bait. He says all I see is what, all I see is the makel. You're coming at me with that little stick. Come to me, and what's going to happen? Your the flat your flesh will be eaten by the birds. Levenat lebemat hasadeh and the uh, the animals of the field. You come to me with your sword, with your spear, with your your other, your javelin. And you come to me, and I come to you with the name of God, the very God that you curse. 
Now, I can imagine at this point in time that hearing this, Goliad is going to start to laugh. Today I'm going to defeat you. I'm going to kill you, take your head, and all of the uh, plishtim will be left in the field to die, to be eaten their carcasses by the birds of the sky and the and the animals that roam around in the desert area. And people will know that there is a God by by Yisel. And it's God, not weapons that win. This happens, I can imagine, his guard is let down, I can't imagine that a stick is going to beat him. Now, if you take a look at the uh, at the picture on the left, that is Shragi Lermer, uh, a, a friend of our family. Shragi went on Tel Azeka, and that is his mom, Yonina, sent me this picture. Shragi actually was excellent. He figured out how to use the slingshot, and his tour guide, Gedalia Goldstein, had them shoot the slingshot to see what it was like. So what happens at this moment? He goes toward, he lunges towards David. He goes running towards him. He quickly takes out one stone, fires it on a slingshot. It hits the plishti at a precise point where there is no armor on his head. And he dies. And then takes his... Um, actually, he falls down. It's a good question whether he dies or not. Could be that he doesn't die. Could be that he just is like knocked out. Then David comes, takes his sword. And because he doesn't have his own sword. He unsheathes the sword. And he kills him. He cuts off his head. That's actually what happens. He was knocked out by the stone, important to realize, and then he's killed by his own sword. The Plishtim all of a sudden see that their hero has died, and they run. The deal, they didn't accept the deal. They're like, we're, we're going to be like routed now. They, they blow shofar. They go all the way until... Guy by Sharei Kron by Pluchali Plishtim Derech Sharaim on that Derech Sharaim we saw the city of Sharaim. I believe that the place is called Sharaim because it is two gates. They're actually, I believe, they found Sharaim, and it is the only city that they found in Israel that has two gates. That God by Kron by Shuv and Esal midlokach for Plishtim by Yeshosu Machanehem, and they uh, they plundered their camp, chasing them all the way out. By Kach David Rosho Plishtim by Yerushalayim the Kelav. Sam ba'ohalo. So David uh, takes the head of the plishti, brings it to Yerushalayim, and the kelav, Sam ba'ohalo. His kelim, his sword, goes in, is kept in David's tent. Eventually, it will be moved to Nov, and we'll see how that plays into a story of Nov, the city of Ir HaKohanim. We're going to hold up in the psukim here. I want to show you, I want to show you exactly what it looks like. You know, one could think it's a slingshot. Is that amazing? But look, take a look at this video. It's worth the watch. There's no words, just a little bit of music. Hopefully you can hear the uh, music. That's the slingshot. We're going to watch it twice. Once in real time, regular speed. 
So what's this? What's the deal with this story? We're gonna have to wait next week to finish the parak. But I want to share with you as we end an idea by Ravi Galariel. Ravi Galariel says that David is not afraid. He says, He also needs the uh, sword. He's not afraid of it. He's willing to use it and turn his own sword upon him. There is nothing worse than losing to your own weapon. And that's what David does. But David wants me to understand that it's not the sword that wins. It's the person that's holding the sword. And the person that's holding the sword is guided by who? Is guided by God. He says, I'm coming, not becherev, below bechanit, but bekoach Hashem. Mirz Hashem, all of our chayalim who are coming with weapons, but know that they're coming on the mission from God, should see the same success against the plishtim of today in, in Aza and in Mirz Hashem. We should see peace in the world. Thank you so much for joining us once again. Have a wonderful week and keep walking in the ways of the prophets.